911, what is your emergency? I just found a body. I don't know what to do. Government officials insist that this is an isolated incident. You are listening to Nightcap, a true crime podcast where we drink a little. Okay, maybe a lot, and deep dive into horrific murders, sinister crimes, and unsolved mysteries. Each week, we will take you on a thrill ride adventure into the juicy details surrounding famous and unheard of cases. Including authentic reactions from rotating co-hosts and insight from trained professionals that give you a real forensic look into true crime. Be warned, this podcast does contain explicit content and graphic descriptions of real-life accounts and cases. Listener discretion is definite. What's up? Welcome to Nightcap, everybody. It's our very first episode ever that we've ever made. So if you're listening to this, we appreciate the hell out of you. I'm going to start up by introducing myself. My name is Susie. I'm Gavin. And I'm Brittany. And Gavin and I, we're sitting here chilling in Spokane, Washington, which is where our first cases reside in, actually. But our home girl, Britt, you're, where are you sitting at, girl? I am in Portland, Oregon. So, so close yet so far. <laughs> so far. We wish you were so here with far. us. I'll come I sit wanna... on your lap soon. Yeah, I, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> Our very first episode is Hometown Horrors, based right here in Spokane. And I'm going to give you some information about Spokane. Spokane sits right next to the Washington-Idaho border, and its population is about 217,000 residents. <laughs> it's the second biggest city, city in Washington state. A lot of people don't know this, but Spokane is actually the birthplace of Father's Day. If you're really? into sports, Paul, well, yeah. Really random. I didn't, no, I didn't know I that. I know, so random. I didn't know it had a birth. Searching your own city. I've been here 25 years. I had no idea. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so if you're into sports, Paul, well, you may have heard the name Gonzaga Bulldogs thrown around. They're from one of our local colleges, Gonzaga University. Spokane is quite known for our river that runs directly through downtown and the majority of our city. The Spokane Falls is one of the largest urban waterfalls in the United States. And Spokane's Riverfront Park was once home of the World's Fair in 1974. Also, this famous singer Bing Crosby was raised in Spokane. Yeah, we got a theater downtown, Bet you bitches. Didn't know, because I sure <laughs> fucking didn't. <laughs> I don't know any of this, obviously. <laughs> yeah, for real. I'd like, besides the Gonzaga part. I, I, I thought, I thought they just uh, named the theater after him downtown. Yeah, right? Seriously. <laughs> I had no idea. And we Guilty. just I don't know. Who was the singer? Oh. <laughs> Grew up here. <laughs> All right. So let's get started with our cases. I am going to go first. Gavin's gonna dive right in, you guys. Oh, he lost he lost the draw. I did lose. We the draw. we kind of rock paper like, scissors. Won it, for it. Lost it. It was exactly I was like it, it was confusing, but Gavin, he lost <laughs> and won, so he gets to go first. Yeah, and well, he's gonna, we are. he's gonna read his case first. <laughs> All right, guys. My case begins in early 1990 in Spokane, literally early 1990. So my victims, the victims in this case were three sex workers who regularly worked on Sprague Avenue, a popular watering hole for sex workers and cruising johns not far from downtown. The victims, 26-year-old Yolanda Sapp, 34-year-old Nikki Lowe, and 38-year-old Kathleen Brisbos. Police weren't able to charge their killer for 27 years. What? Yep, 27. It took them that years. long? 
Like they didn't. Find, well, I'm sure you'll tell no. us. Never mind. Oh yeah, I'm gonna tell you all. <laughs> all this. Wait, but I need to know now. Twenty questions, real quick. All Answer. the shit. <laughs> so, Yolanda Sapp was last seen February 21st, 1990, by her boyfriend Darrell Thomas. Thomas told police that she had gone out to prostitute and make money. Her body was found down a steep embankment next to the Spokane River on the morning of February 22nd. She was completely nude and bound by the ankles by a green blanket. The killer made no attempt whatsoever to cover her body. No, oh, that's nice of him. Next to her With body a was a floral, right there. Yep. <laughs> Next to her body was a floral blanket with Yolanda's blood on it. An autopsy was done and a medical examiner found that she had cuts and scrapes as well as three gunshot wounds to her chest. Oof. Forensics analyzed the gunshot wounds and concluded that Yolanda was shot with a 22 caliber gun. Unfortunately, no witnesses and little evidence, detectives were unable to put any suspects on the table. One month later, under the Green Street Bridge, the body of 34-year-old Nikki Lowe had been found. Her body had been draped over the guardrail. She was found with her pants pulled down to her knees and her shirt had been pulled up, exposing her breasts. Mark- and he left her like that? Yeah, he like left he didn't like, like just strip her nude. He was just like he just like nope. Sloppily was like I'm gonna halfway pull down your pants and just pull up your shirt to see your titties and leave you like that. Pretty much. <laughs> how wow. far? Uh, since I don't know where any of that is, how far apart are those uh, locations? Um, well, that's probably what? about like a, a mile and a half, two miles. Because oh, okay. that's what's so right nearby. Okay. Yeah. All of these, all of these women were found very, very close to the river. And only just a couple miles apart of each other. Wow. Yeah. So let's see here. Marks on her backside suggested Nikki had been dragged and placed on the guardrail. So he just put her up there. Detectives found a single fatal gunshot wound to her chest. Oof. Again, the gunshot wound was that of a 22 caliber weapon. Further analysis would find that she was fully dressed when she was shot and the markings on her bru- markings and bruisings on her body occurred after her clothes had been disheveled. Several days later, investigators were notified that several of Nikki's belongings had been found in a dumpster on Sprague. And Sprague is literally it's not very far from the river whatsoever. No, that's like a couple blocks. Yeah, isn't it? Like you cross the bridge, a Green Street Bridge, and it's like yep. two or three blocks going down division. In the dumpster, they found her wallet containing her driver's license, a sweater, a pair of blue tennis shoes, and a tube of lubricant. It was noted that the dumpster was relatively empty, and it was assumed that the items were all dumped together. Forensics were able to lift a fingerprint off the tube of lubricant, and the fingerprint was entered into evidence. The killer took a short break and returned to kill another sex worker, Kathleen Brisbos, two months later. Kathleen's body was found down an embankment next to the river in the late afternoon of May 15, 1990. Similar to Yolanda's case, no attempt was made to cover the body. The area above where Kathleen's body was found had been disturbed. Multiple articles of clothing were strewn about, along with clumps of hair and blood droplets along a very popular pathway called the Centennial Trail. What? She's littered the Centennial Trail like that? Like, no attempt to clean it up after you dumped the body? No clump of hair. He did not give one fuck. Was that like a, that's like a serial killer flower girl that's like and we'll get there (laughs) i promise we'll get there okay sorry bad metaphor but that's what popped (laughs) into my head (laughs) i just pictured the most like macabre wedding ever (laughs) this indicated to investigators that kathleen had put up a fight but unfortunately she did not win 
An autopsy of her body revealed that she had been struck up to eight times, resulting in skull fractures and three broken ribs. (sighs) No. She had been shot three times, once in the head, chest, and right shoulder. Oh, my God. It's, I know. It's unclear of, like, the sequence of all of these injuries. Oh, yeah, which shot, like, killed her, the order that they were in. Because that was different than the other two. He just shot the other two in the yeah. chest, right? So this was the one that was oddball out. Well, in so the tr- second one, you said that she was clothed when she was shot, but then mm-hmm. was found partially nude. So he cool okay yeah just just wondering so two of the bullets were recovered and of course were found to be 22 caliber thankfully for what that looks like (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a small bullet i'm pretty sure the 22 is tiny yeah yeah it's it's a little little chode gun Uh, apparently uh big enough (laughs) to kill somebody oh no so forensics were able to collect her fingernails and entered them into evidence thank god because this was 1990 this was you know pretty early on in the dna Wait, game. like off of her body or like next to her body no she clipped her fingernails oh, okay. off and okay. took them into evidence so it was pretty clear to spokane investigators that there was a serial killer on loose and this person had a very strong dislike for sex workers the killer had a very clear pattern Detectives had a very, very long list of suspects, about 700 deep, including Green River Killer and Robert Lee Yates, which we will be getting to. (laughs) Yates was taken off the table, right? (laughs) Due to the fact that he was in the military and not in Spokane at the time. No charges were brought up due to the lack of evidence in these two murders. Or three murders. Shit balls. For decades, the killer would evade investigators until DNA evidence was able to establish the connection. In 1990, the FBI created a DNA database program to aid investigators with searchable DNA profiles. The database contained data of convicted offenders as well as another database for missing persons and forensic samples collected from crime scenes. This database was named CODIS, Combined DNA Index System. Mm-hmm. By 1998, CODIS had been implemented on a national level in all 50 states. Back to the timeline. So, in 2004, the case had remained cold but not forgotten. This was over a decade later. The case had, was handed down to a new detective, James Dresbeck. Dresbeck sent the fingernail clippings from Kathleen's case to a lab in Marysville, Washington, and six months later, a full profile was developed. The profile came back as that of an unidentified male. With a new lead, investigators turned to CODIS. Samples from 12 suspects were tested against the DNA profile, and unfortunately, none of them were found to be a match. Damn. Now this is where shit gets crazy. (laughs) Oh, this is where? Bring it on, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, the suspect. Douglas Robert Perry, later known as Donna Rebecca Perry, was born February 26, 1952. Perry was raised in Omak, Washington, a few hours west of Spokane. Background information was very hard to find, so I was only allowed just like a little bit from like his growing up and whatnot. So Perry's childhood was pretty rough as expected. Perry's father passed away in 1969, and their mother was admitted to a psychiatric facility and diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. With a past filled with turmoil, Perry turned to an obsession with guns and weapons. At some point, Perry le- relocated to Spokane, and judging by the arrest records, like I'm assuming it was sometime in the late 80s, but I couldn't really pinpoint it down. 
So Perry was no stranger to law enforcement. Perry had quite a rap sheet and had been arrested many times between 74 and 2012. And uh, fucking buckle up, because holy crap. (laughs) Perry was arrested several times for second degree assault in 74 and 88. Perry was found guilty of a dangerous weapons violation in 86. During a search of Perry's home, police found five pipe bombs 49 holy holy shit and twenty thousand motherfucking rounds of ammunition twenty thousand thousand who the fuck needs twenty thousand rounds of ammunition so they don't even know what that looks like i don't know three or did were you planning on another like 19 997 or what don't you worry Perry's arrest record. I tried really hard. There. I really <laughs> proud of you. So proud of you. Thought it came out good because it, it was a struggle in my brain. <laughs> Perry was also like- arrested for patronizing a sex worker he found on Sprague Avenue in '89, and that's kind of where I get like he must have, you know, eventually ended up in Spokane in the late '80s. Yeah. One of Perry's girlfriends was a sex worker herself, and we'll get to her later. Because when I found that information, it was pretty sketchy and I wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of information, but I ended up digging pretty deep and got down to it. Okay. But state caseworkers would end up concluding that Perry had a deeply seated hatred for women and sex workers and also was a misogynist. Surprise, wow. surprise. Okay. Trifecta. That's a, that's a perfect trifecta. Was so that Perry was a, very. Was that girlfriend who was a sex worker? Was that before or after the murders? No, during the murders. And she was a sex worker. Oh, oh I was thinking maybe it was before and like she scorned him or something. Well, no. he must have just really liked her. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it. Like, you're my favorite one. Don't worry. So we, we'll get to her. I promise. She's she's in here. She plays a, 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 an interesting part. So Perry was very good at deception. Perry was seen helping sex workers, even feeding them and gaining their trust. Perry was again arrested in 1994 for unlawful possession of firearms and ammunition. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, shocker. How Being a convicted know? felon prohibits one from owning or possessing firearms of any kind. Duh. <laughs> During a search of Perry's home, ATF agents noted that Perry was extremely knowledgeable about firearms and very protective of the ones in his possession, referring to them almost as if they were alive. Did he like name him? I don't know, but this ATF agent dude, like he had a whole blurb about it and it was like it was pretty creepy. Weird. Yeah. Twenty thousand children. So Perry was incarcerated in Oregon from January 1995 until October 1997. After only a year of Perry's release in December of 1998, a sex worker by the name of Valerie, who had been to Perry's home, called police and reported she had seen an armory of guns, knives, and crossbows. Oh, man. (laughs) I know. Jeez, snitches get stitches, girl. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> Valerie informed police that she or that Perry had told her not to worry. He wasn't going to hurt her. Oh yeah, yeah. He liked oh, her. Oh, oh, he liked. Okay, oh. that makes it all better. She told police there were mannequins and crossbows and weapons and things everywhere in his house. <laughs> everywhere. Somehow the mannequins shit. are the worst out of all of them. I know. So the first another level. Like, that's one thing. I'm going to be like, there are mannequins. No, I think that's <laughs> pretty <laughs> normal <laughs> home decor. I don't know. For a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> or a seamstress. I don't know. Or a seamstress. <laughs> 
Well, I'm actually looking into buying mannequins, though. <laughs> I was going to say so everyone was mannequins. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not judging. Maybe just a little. <laughs> I have no desire to get 20,000 bullets or a crossbow, though. So I think I'm in the clear. <laughs> so Valerie was able to give police a clear description of Perry's car and home. And police were very quickly able to uh, track Perry down, of course, near Sprague. When police questioned Perry, Perry told them, I was only in the area because I wanted to help the sex workers get off the street. Oh, he's <laughs> so nice. Such a sweet so human. Nice. I just... Uh. Police searched Perry's vehicle and found papers written by a psychologist that stated Perry had a gender psychosis disorder that states Perry does not like females, along with printouts on gender transition. That's very confusing. I really feel like, yeah, those it's two don't confusing. go hand in hand with each other. I, so yeah, I thought I might, it was some like, I don't know. Is, is that some self-deep-rooted hatred for himself that he was like, I hate women, but I also hate myself for doing this. So maybe I would want to trans. I, I, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. That's very so interesting. Around- like a anger at women, you know, like because they're just biologically women and like just a secret, you know, I don't know hatred because like, of yeah and either like a desire thing. to like be a woman like i want to be a woman so i'm mad at women for being women or yeah like, exactly like, I, mean, I, don't have both both I need to to become a woman yeah definitely i, I think that. I know, it, could, it could go both ways or it could be not even relevant at all he could just be psychotic and y'all uh, just wait okay sorry, sorry. <laughs> y'all just wait there's more <laughs> apparently i'm the kind of person that yells out like it's gonna end this way at the movies <laughs> yeah and i'm like stop stop burning it first so around 1994 <laughs> perry began to identify as a woman and carried on relationships with women and men carrying on both personas as a woman and a sex worker what? I know. I know, I know. So Perry struggled with gender identity for many years. And in 2000, Perry decided it was time to address the gender identity issues. Straight up disappeared off the radar and flew to Thailand. It was in Thailand that Perry underwent gender reassignment surgery. Douglas Perry became Donna Perry. It's a lot cheaper in Thailand, I hear. And from here on out, I will refer to Donna as Donna with female and her and she pronouns so it's it it was just really difficult to get to this progression because of how everything works out so i don't mean to offend anybody so even after multiple arrests perry could not overcome her obsession with firearms perry was arrested again in 2012 in spokane valley by the atf for yet again Another unlawful possession of firearms and ammunition. Authorities searched Perry's home and recovered 12 firearms and another large amount of ammunition. Jeez. Like, for real. Like, you couldn't just give it up because if, literally, if you could have just, like, stopped buying guns and shit, you wouldn't have got caught for any of this. Like, it's just, it blows my fucking mind. You're willing to put yourself in the Yeah. Just blows my absolute mind. So, in so Perry was convicted and sentenced to 18 months, only 18 months in a federal prison after like what this is like the third oh, time. Yeah. Being, having 
guns when you're not supposed to have guns. Jeez, I feel like you get more time if you do like a second DUI at this point in time. Like, <laughs> in this I'm, day I'm and a age. weird exactly. liberal. Like, have your fucking guns. I don't give a fuck if you have your guns. But like, if you've been arrested because you've assaulted people with your guns, you probably like, you know, come on, let's just not. You have too many don't. guns. Like, <laughs> just don't. And especially if you kill people. With guns, it's a like, ho- it's a hobby, Gavin. It's a hobby. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so in 2012, it's now a federal requirement. If a person is convicted of a felony, the felon must provide a sample of DNA. And around this time, oh, CODIS gets a hit, and the DNA profile matches with that of Donna Perry. Oh, snap! Dang, turning point. So as the case warms up, Detective Dresbeck is on it. Investigators traced guns found in Perry's home from 1994 and in 2012 and found that several had originally been purchased by two brothers, Bruce and Mark Massingale. Detectives interviewed the brothers and found that they were close friends of Perry's before and after Perry's gender reassignment. Perry had even lived with Bruce for a minute. So they were pretty tight. During the interview, investigators found that Perry had lived with a woman named Claire Ann Galloway, and it is suspected that Galloway was Perry's girlfriend in 1990. Oh, is this where it loops back around? Is That's where the girlfriend was. Oh, God. She was also a sex worker at the time. So Perry and Galloway had a very peculiar relationship, and I couldn't find a whole lot of details about it. However, coincidentally, Galloway was arrested and taken into custody February 21st, the day before Yolanda's body was found. Uh-huh. And then again, March 25th, the day after Kathleen's body was found. And I know. Okay. It's, it's very odd. Investigators speculated that Perry had also robbed the women as well as murdered them and used the money to bail Galloway out of jail. Oh, my God. This is awful. Like, favorite don't worry, baby, I got touch. you. Right? That's favorite. <laughs> that's, that's favoritism at its finest. It's like, no, fuck her. Fuck her. You're cool. Fuck her. <laughs> that's so strange. I so Mark Massengale told investigators that Galloway had been arrested several times and Perry, who was living on state benefits at the time, always found the money to bail her out. <laughs> Perry ended up back in Spokane County Jail, being held there as a federal inmate. Detectives James Dresbeck and Spokane Police Detective Mark Burbridge arranged a visit to Perry at the jail. And this was around 2012. So like some somewhere later in the year, they've obviously have kind of caught on like the CODIS hit like this is this is so our- how far are we from the murders at this point? Like when all this stuff is happening from when it started, well, no, like the murder started in the early 19, like the first four months of 1990 of 1990. And, and this then, is in like, like 2012, 2012. years later. 20, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Imagine hot like thinking you're like set, you know, like, all right, cool. I did it. Like. He must have been shitting his pants when they took his DNA and in 2012. Like, oh, fuck. Totally. After that long, you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm golden. I'm yeah. But don't worry. It gets more weird. Oh, oh great. yay. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. So during this visit, which was practically just kind of like, <clears throat> I need to get DNA from you and ask you some questions. So detectives told Perry that they had been working on an old case and wanted to see if Perry could help them with the cases. They also served Perry with a search warrant for DNA. Perry was read her rights and stated 
I should probably have an attorney here if you're going to question me about something. Oh, that's fishy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Only innocent people say that. No, we all know you that. you watch the video, like the actual interview, police interview video, like it is real frustrating because you can tell that she like she's not trying or she might be trying too hard to deny yeah. So like she kept acting shocked and confused as to why you know they were oh doing her. Oh my I god! I can't believe it. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> detectives collected the DNA via a buckle swab, which is like a um, a cheek swab, and I told Perry a bucket. No, I had to look up buckle swab. I'm like, what the hell is a buckle swab? See, and then I'm sitting over here with a bucket. Like, I thought you said butthole swab, and I was like, that seems really fucking invasive. Oh, I mean, like we need the job done. we need DNA, but we're taking it straight from the source. But like, no, a butthole swab butthole. would give you a whole bunch of other DNA. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you don't eat steak. I'm head. not a vegan. Not eat steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gives you your whole your gut biome and everything. <laughs> yeah. oh my okay. god okay well that was yeah so anyhow <laughs> my bad my bad so detectives collect <laughs> the dna and they tell they tell her that they're going to tape up the sample box and they'd be back with a copy of the warrant they gave perry a short break and left the room when they returned minutes later perry became very agitated and stated she needed a lawyer or someone to explain what was actually going on detectives then gave perry a brief description of the old crimes and the codis hit that led them to their conclusion Perry asked the detectives why they wanted her DNA. Burbridge informed her that they had a warrant for first-degree murder, and they believe Perry had information about it. Perry continued to act confused and said she had millions of questions. But little did Perry know, the detectives already had all the answers they needed in the DNA sample they collected that day. So at that point, they weren't telling her that she was like a confirmed suspect. They, they pretty much knew. But it sounds like they didn't tell her. That's why she was they like, I need know. an attorney. I don't know what's going on. Like, because did they straight say that you're a fucking suspect right now? Because the problem was here is that she kept saying that she needed an attorney. She was already read her rights. And so that, like they they weren't com- and I'll get to that. They weren't really comfortable going into like specific details. So um, mm. wait, is that kind of some kind of violation, though? Like if she had said in the first place, like, I want an attorney. And then they kept asking her questions. That, is that a violation? Because so I feel like that should be a violation. In the video, it's more so she's asking questions. So she's not stating that she needs a lawyer right and now. And they've already given, like, read her Miranda rights, and they do it again. So this is where the shit gets real. So because of Perry insisting on needing an attorney, president or detectives were uncomfortable interviewing Perry any further. They told her that they would give her some time to finish up her soda and would be back to take her back to jail, which I feel like was a total, like was a tactic. Like there was a, a oh, plan. Yeah. You know, like, you know, she's finally afforded to like sit in another room, you know, away from herself and whatnot, away from people. And she gets a soda and whatnot. Yeah. And they're like, finish your soda. They're like, girl, well, you're you know, good. Yeah. Like we're going to, and throw you back in the clink. So <laughs> Dresback and Burbage returned. Dresback gave Perry his business card and told her if she wanted to talk, she could let him know. Perry again told the detectives how upset she was, also asking the detectives to give her their gun and one round so that she could finish it. So now if oh, that's kill not... herself, I get things. <laughs> yep. An admission of guilt. I don't know what it is. It took me a second too. I was like, oh, wait. No, what? I was like, what is she finishing? She will continue to beat around the bush. So Perry was clearly ready to talk ish. So after being read her rights again, detectives got down to business. 
Perry told them, I did pick up prostitutes, yes, but I always let them out and they were alive and well when I let them out. Detectives also showed Perry 13 photographs, one at a time, of known sex workers who worked the streets in the early 90s. Mixed in with the photographs were photos of all three victims. Perry proclaimed to not have known or seen any of the victims ex- or women except for Galloway. So that was the only person that she claimed to recognize. When that detective was the girlfriend. Perry- that's the girlfriend, yeah, right? The girlfriend. Yeah, okay. okay. When detectives showed Perry the photos of Yolanda, she made it a point to disclose that she never dated black girls. Which, oh, yeah. You racist. <laughs> yeah. Perry kept up denial, stating, I'm not going to admit I killed anybody. I didn't. Donna has killed nobody. And Burbridge responded with, so Doug did? Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. It comes a split personality disorder at its finest. Me? No. And Harry replied, I don't know if Doug did or not. It's 20 years ago, and I have no idea whether he did or didn't. Oh, my God. Well, that's a solid plea of insanity. I mean, if you're going to ride that train, you ride that all the way to insanity, because that's what she sounds like at this point. Yeah. So- she was seen fit to stand trial because they went through the whole trial. Wow. Even though claiming all of that? Yep. Dang. So Burbridge told Perry that people who kill multiple people over periods of time genuinely, generally don't stop killing. He asked Perry why the killing stopped, and she said, Douglas didn't stop. Donna stopped it. Perry also stated that since the sex change operation, she is paranoid and emotional, but won't hurt anybody. And that the sex change was a way to permanently control any violence. That's wild. Yeah. And sketchy as fuck, which really fucking pisses me off. Yeah. Okay. It's like part of me can like almost like, I mean, if you're, you know, not all there mentally, I guess, part of me could see how that would like make sense you know like i don't i don't know yeah like like, i could see how someone could try to justify that yeah i mean it's like she almost like put her past self into like donna boot camp and was like that's not a thing anymore (laughs) like justified it in her own head no yeah that's bizarre that is so fucking bizarre oh just wait my god there's more it gets better <laughs> so the buckle swab was sent off to the Washington State Patrol Crime Lab and checked against the original DNA evidence found from the scenes. The sample was con- t- compared to the profile from obtained from the DNA found underneath Kathleen's fingernails and found that it was a perfect match. The odds wow. were one in seven hundred and ninety sextillion that Perry was their killer. Oh my, yeah, there's no mission she had. Like boom. So the profile was also a match to DNA found on the floral blanket next to Yolanda. And Perry's fingerprint would be an exact match found to that on the tube of lube on the lube bottle in Nikki Lowe's case. So during the interview with Perry, she confirmed that she had drove a 1969 International Scout in the 90s. Detectives were able to track down the vehicle even after it had traded hands several times. My the God. Washington Central Crime Lab processed the vehicle and get this, motherfuckers. Under 
The front passenger floor mat laid a single 22 caliber cartridge. Shut the fuck Stop up. Stop it. Still in the there all this time. Oh my, oh my God. God. So the cartridge That's- was old and showed signs of corrosion and was taken into evidence given the fact that it was the same caliber used in the murders and none of the previous owners recalled ever owning a 22 caliber weapon. Yeah, because this is like 20 some odd years later. And I mean, who, like, if you That's go out shooting to like a gun range or whatnot, like, you know, your casual shooting spot, like, you don't pick up your fucking shell casings no. and like put them in your car. I mean, it's shitty to do, but I mean, people just don't. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. You should actually dispose should. of them properly. Like, really, if you're listening, you should. Care about the memory <laughs> So this is where shit gets even more fucking crazy. So in June of 2013, so not too long after that interview, detectives go down to Fort Worth, Texas and interview one of her fellow inmates. Her cellmate, Cheryl Everson. Perry had taken a liking to Everson and had confided to her cellmate that she had killed nine sex workers while, quote unquote, oh. taking care of business. Oh, great. Every day. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Perry, later, you're good. <laughs> Mom jokes. <laughs> Perry later claimed to have killed between 20 and 30 people. Everson also claimed that Perry told her that becoming a woman was a disguise to take the heat off of her, that an elderly lady with mental illness would never get caught. Holy shit. Uh, So fucking gross. So fucking gross. It's like maniacal. Like you're like, yeah, I got it. I I figured it out. I figured it out. I got the way. No. (laughs) Pisses me off to no end. Oh, that's so, fucked. Other statements from Everson would include that Perry claimed to be a contract killer and knew a lot about guns, which was ob- obviously evident. Mm-hmm. Perry had evidently exposed that she had killed these women because she couldn't breed and the women had the ability to have children and they were wasting it being pawn scum. Holy Hold shit. It. Yeah, you won, you won that round, Brittany. All right. Perry claimed that she didn't bury the women she killed. She just shot them dead, and it was someone else's job to bury them. And that's why she left him. But why transport the body at that point? Why not leave him where you shot him? I don't think she did transport. I think she literally. We'll get. Hold on. So Everson told detectives that she (laughs) the victims were killed in a vehicle near a river and then kicked out of the vehicle and left behind. Oh my god. that so, other female was like thrown across the guardrail. So though. I personally think, and this is just speculation, that he took them to these areas and like I'm assuming, you know, had sex with them, did whatever it was that they did, and then killed them. Because none of them were, were like, except for, like, I mean, obviously Nikki, like she was draped over a guardrail. Like, yeah, just literally like thrown out, like wherever like she lands on her backside and, and you know, like her buttocks and her legs like concluded that it happened after she had been shot and killed mm-hmm. so like he took them to a specific location and then killed them and then just left them there just crazy because other people do it other ways but <laughs> yeah so harry <laughs> <laughs> also claimed that she knew how to dispose of evidence and told Everson law enforcement had unknowingly destroyed some of the firearms used to commit the murders. Um, this is we're you still throwing your shit to an empty dumpster type of yeah, <laughs> so they're chucking like, everything. But, but I disposed I'm, of the weapon properly, so I'm, I'm so good. <laughs> you know, like 
hey, I used that one, but they burned it. Yeah, so I, whatever. I touched the lube bottle with my bare hand, but I got rid of the gun. So try to yeah. catch me now. Right? <laughs> we good. <laughs> oh my so God. Everson would eventually testify in court against Perry. And there there was no like um no benefits for Everson to testify. Oh, wow. Like she didn't get anything oh, so out of it. She did it like at her own will. At her own, yeah, her own free will. Wow. So when Perry was flown back to Spokane for trial, she told officers during the flight, I'm never going to get out of this. And instead of jail, I hope they send me to Eastern State Hospital. I'm not violent now. Oh, oh. what? Okay. Uh, okay. So throughout the trial, Perry would continue to hold tight to the notion that Donna didn't kill anyone. Douglas did. But the evidence was undeniable okay. and nothing Perry could say could change the fact that DNA doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. No amount of denial could turn this case in any other direction. And on July 24th, 2017. Oh my God. 27 fucking years. A jury of her peers found Donna Rebecca Perry guilty of three counts of first degree murder and sentenced her to three consecutive life sentences in prison. Fuck. So I would like to state that the actions of Perry are in no way a reflection of the transgender community. Perry is just a garbage ass fucking human being. Yeah. And it is, it's not clear whether or not Perry like had you know, wanted to become a woman or just used it to her advantage. And it's fucked up, like seriously fucked up learning more oh, yeah. about this case pissed me off to no end, especially when I found um, the interview with her cellmate when she had made those statements just infuriating, but I'm pretty sure there are a whole fuck ton of psychological issues at hand. I mean, oh, it could yeah. be an urgent. I mean, look at her, look, look at her mother, you know, yeah. like, was that passed down? Was it like childhood trauma? You never know. Like the whole thing is fucked. I'm Absolutely. looking at pictures. Oh, snap. <laughs> Douglas and Donna. Sorry. I'm a visual uh, learner. Gotta see everything. <laughs> Very interesting. So, so fucking mind blowing because it's like, I mean, I mean, you kind of like sugaring me in on this case a little bit earlier, like not a lot of detail or whatever, but like without like the proper confession, like just the cop out of like it wasn't me, Donna, it was Douglas. You know, like you, I feel like the like the victims' families and friends and stuff like that, like would have never really gotten like that for sure closure of being yeah. like, okay you know she admitted to these crimes and then she is like sorrowful and apologetic and like all this shit she was just literally like nope wasn't me i don't know yeah, could have been him not been him i don't really know like where did yeah. this leaf would open like that like that's so kind of it's just it's fucked up in yeah. my mind i don't like, know really like one of my most frustrating parts about this case was the fact that like we don't have this like donna's side of story like she never confessed so we don't know what actually took place and it was like everything i got was all from like court documents and so what the police had concluded and like their evidence and it was like i want to know the other side of the story all like uh if it's frustrating but no she, to this day she still holds tight to that like <sighs> i killed nobody even though she admitted to her cellmate supposedly yeah. i mean i guess yeah like that's just so like why do you, I, I when you hear that in stories where it's like oh well they admitted to their cellmate like <laughs> in what world are you still thinking like they're not gonna say anything about it like right you know like i just and you're already doing the time for it so like well, why yeah not? exactly it, why not probably just, would help 
Like, repent for your sins, bitch. Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, because clearly she's not, you know, like, so convinced in her mind, like, you know, pathological liar that she, like, she knows that she did it. She's not denying it to some people. It's like, yeah, it's... Well, and, like, plotting to admit that she had changed her gender and, like, all that, like... Because you almost want to be, like, empathetic to a certain extent with, like, mental cases with mental health because you're like is there a really something like underlying underneath like the psychological barrier of the brain or whatever but to admit it to your cellmate and then turn around and be like oh yeah no i have no idea you're just like that yeah garbage human being just straight garbage human being there's no excuse for that yeah that's just awful (laughs) 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 well i'm glad we're all in like gagging agreeance (laughs) all right Thank you for tuning in to Hometown Horrors, part one.